Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We are in uh, the fourth adventure, the fourth installment of Galatians, and probably good to give a little bit of a recap, at least touch on some of the high points because they still relate this week, last week, and next week. There's some themes in Galatians we need to look at. Galatians, again, was written to an area, a region called uh, Galatia. Uh, and it was, you know, I was reminded this morning that that's actually for a lot of us, Gaul, Gaul was kind of the last holdouts against Rome, uh, and a lot of them became mercenaries and went to that area and fought Rome and defeated and got assimilated, but they came from like Germany and Austria and England and kind of the last holdouts against the Roman Empire. So it really is kind of a letter to us in some ways, our heritage, uh, if you will. But nevertheless, uh, Paul, start with Paul. Who is this guy, Paul? Well, Paul was uniquely chosen, uh, called, appointed, trained, set apart, if you will, by none other than the resurrected Jesus that called Paul uh, and told him, gave him a, a particular mission, trained by Jesus. I mean, there's a tutor for three years. The resurrected Jesus taught Paul what he needed to know in order to fill his mission that Jesus gave him. Your calling is to share the gospel with the non-Jewish world primarily, with the Gentiles. Um, So that became his mission. His message was a radical message because his message essentially said, hey, if you believe in, trust in, follow this guy Jesus based on that alone, you can have full inclusion in the body of believers without having to become Jewish. Um, that was a radical message to an audience who for centuries, um, millennium, had believed that they were right with God because of being Jewish, because of the things they did as Jews made them right with God. So that was a radical message. Um, and in really, in some ways, it was a message uh, to us. Well, uh, the focus last week was kind of how for the Jews, again, they made the law, the basis of their trust. They made being Jewish the basis of their trust. And we talked about last week how we were not Jewish, but we kind of slip into the same thing in adding to faith. Yes, I'm saved by faith, but I've got to do these things. I've got to believe this. I have to live it out this way. And maybe we're told that, maybe we tell others that. And I think Paul has the same message to us, which is really hard for us to get our hand around. Faith alone. If you just believe in who Jesus is, trust him, follow him, that's it. That's what it takes. Uh, Don't add things to it. That was his message. And then the the final kind of main point that Paul makes is, hey, this is is nothing new. There is only one gospel, the gospel. Uh, He's directing it to the non-Jewish audience, but it's the same gospel that's always been. And today we're going to kind of look at what the gospel is, where did it begin and where do we fit into it in this picture in Galatians that Paul's talking about? So, the gospel. Uh, what, what's the definition of the gospel? Here it is. Good news. That's it. That's what the word gospel means. In Greek, it's euangelion. Good news. Uh, you know, if you ask people in general, hey, what's the good news? They may give you a lot more information. <laughs> Well, good news is having to do this and that, and you have to believe in Jesus. You got to do. 
Good news is all it is. Uh, What's that mean? How old is it? Uh, Well, I will say from the time of uh, Caesar, this euangelion phrase was adopted in, in the Greek language. At least from there, it was used by the Romans to declare good news to their occupants. Caesar would send out a group of people ahead of time when he's going to come visit a region or an area or a city and say, hey, declare the good news. The good news is the king is coming and you can be part of the kingdom. Good news for you, Galatians. Good news for you, wherever you lived. The emperor is your emperor and you get to be part of his kingdom. That's good news. Well, in Jesus' day, Jesus and the apostles used it with a little different emphasis to say, well, actually, I got the euangelion for you, is that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one to come with his kingdom. Good news, you get to be in relationship with this king. You get to have full participation in the kingdom if you trust him. Uh, In the Roman day, it was if you worship Caesar, you can partake of the Roman Empire. Well, that was that, but it goes farther back than that. In fact, it goes all the way back. Because the good news really was initiated by God in creation. God's intention from the very beginning was that all of mankind, from Adam and Eve on, would be a part of God's kingdom on earth, would be in an eternal relationship with God, would have full benefits of being under his leadership, his lordship, and all that mean, all that meant. Well, then, of course, Adam and Eve came along. (laughs) Stupid Adam and Eve. I would never do that. Um kind of joke, but that's part of all of our nature. Yes, we would, because we're uncomfortable with giving allegiance to another king. We want to kind of run our own life, and so it played out for them. They disobeyed God, and the fall is what happened, the term we use, the fall. The fall is not primarily a, a, a moral issue. It's a matter of a broken relationship. When they disobeyed, when they went against what the king wanted, what he asked them to not do in this case... They did it, and it broke the relationship with God. They were no longer in relationship with God, separated, and in essence, banned from the garden. And the rest of the Bible, the rest of human history, really, until now and beyond, is the story of how God is going to restore us back to the way it was intended from the very beginning. He's never lost the good news. The good news was, hey, the king is coming. You can have a relationship with him eternally. Uh, if you trust, believe in him. Um, so that, that's where the gospel kind of originated. It was from the very beginning. Paul refers it to it in Galatians by reflecting on the gospel preached to Abraham, which sounds kind of weird, but let's look at that. That's where we're starting today. Galatians 3, 6 to 9. Here's what Paul says. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness... Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So from the very beginning, God established the promise, the gospel, the good news to Abraham and said, you are going to present this, you and your descendants. Part of your mission, Abraham, is that 
you and your descendants will give the good news to all the nations. You'll be a blessing to all the nations. I'm going to start with you and, and to the Israelites, but it's later on. But the good news is it go, you're destined to give this to the whole world. Um, well, <laughs> there you go. Um, so in order to, uh, well, Paul then kind of shifts his attention in Galatians about how we fit in. So I, probably good to get a little quick lesson on covenants, because covenants in the Old Testament were basically legal contracts. Uh, two parties had their own part to play, uh, promises to each other, and there's usually a sign that accompanied covenants. And the very first covenant that God gave was to Noah. After destroying the earth in a flood, he, sold, he told Noah, hey, from now on, my promise to you, my covenant with you, Noah, and really the covenant of Noah was to all of creation, was that I will never destroy the earth again by flood. It wasn't just made to mankind, it was made to all of creation. The flood messed up mankind <laughs> big time, but it also affected all of creation. And God said, never again. I'm making this covenant with you, making this promise, and I'm going to seal it with a sign. The sign was a rainbow in the sky, uh, which we see every day as a reminder. Well, not every day. We see it when it rains. We see that we understand what a rainbow is, but really God set it out there to say, this is, this is my covenant sign to you. If you look at a bow, by the way, something I learned a few years ago, uh, a bow is a weapon of war, and a bow, when you point it at somebody, the, the bow actually arcs toward the person you're shooting the arrow at. Uh, God is essentially, I love this analogy, God is essentially saying, here's the sign, I will pay the penalty it's up to me to fulfill this covenant. Um, and that was the covenant he made, the first covenant he made to, on earth was to Noah and all of his descendants. So we're under that. Then along came Abraham. Um, along came Abraham and he said, that's what Paul's referred to here in Galatians. Uh, is it possible that God's made the gospel known to Abraham? That's what Paul says. Well, let's go back to Genesis and see how that played out. So we look at Genesis 15, 4 to 6. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Oh, I should back up. Context, very important. Before we read that, before you go, who's, who's he talking about? Uh, this takes place uh, many years after God initially called Abraham and said, you're going to be a blessing to the nations. You're going to have offspring innumerable. And uh, that was his initial promise. So Abraham followed God and then many years goes by, and Abraham's beginning to doubt this promise. Why? Because by this time, at this story is taking place, Abraham's probably 60, 70, probably 70. Sarah's 60 years old. Uh, they're realizing, hey, great promise. Doesn't look like it's going to happen. And uh, he's kind of arguing, pleading with God, going, well, Eleazar, he's my servant, my trusted servant. He's the one who's going to be the the heir of my estate. He will inherit everything uh, as he kind of confronts God. And then God says this in Genesis. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside again and said, look up at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I mean, God kind of gave him that earlier, but uh, even harder to believe now, given their circumstances. But it goes on, Abram, 
believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's the verse that Paul quoted in Galatians. So there's the, there's the promise given to Abraham in the, uh, in that, then it goes on. That's the promise. That's Abraham was, uh, at that level, we, we become connected to Abraham if we are of faith. Um, so let's look at the next little slide here. Then Abraham, this is probably 10 more years later, a few years later again, uh, Sarah gets into the picture and says, hey, I'm now 70, 80 years old, wherever I am now. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. But I believe God. It's just not going to happen through me. Anybody ever feel that way? <laughs> hey, I believe in God, but I'm going to have to interject my own way of doing this. So she did. She goes to Abraham and says, hey, you're going to have to have my maidservant, Hagar, have relations with her. You'll have offspring. God's promise will still come to you. So they did. And Ishmael was born, created all sorts of family drama, and uh, the slave woman becomes the mother of Ishmael. Um, And then about 10 years later, Sarah's now 80, Abraham's 90, somewhere in there. Uh, God comes again. Uh, He comes to Abraham and recommits this covenant. He establishes a new covenant with Abraham. If you know the story, the story takes place when these three strangers show up to Abraham. And God has already told him uh, what's going to happen. But he said, a year from now, Sarah will be with child. That will be the beginning of the promise. And they, they gave him this covenant at that time to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant that I'm promising this. Still going to be your offspring, not Ishmael, but your own flesh and blood. Uh, you'll have the sign of circumcision. So Abraham and his offspring from that point on, his descendants to this day, will have circumcision as a sign of the promise that God gave to Abraham and his family. Um, well, there's that. And then uh, 430 years later, <laughs> after this family grows up, becomes Israel, becomes the 12 tribes, they go into slavery in Egypt, and then God finally delivers them out of slavery and takes them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, I'll go ahead to the next one, God gives them another covenant. I'm giving you the Sinai covenant, covenant, covenant of the law. The law is my commitment to you. This is what your part is. My part is I'm going to make you a nation uh, that's going to reflect God to the world. You're going to have a promised land. You're going to have uh, prophets. You're going to have the law, all these benefits of being under my authority on earth. So he's kind of playing out the, uh, the preview, if you will, of the kingdom to come. But he's doing it through this Sinai covenant. Well, this is the covenant, that and circumcision both. When we look in Galatians, that's what the Jews are depending on. I mean, for millennium, they believed that this is what it means. Hey, we're, we're in the right place with God if we're Jewish. You have to be Jewish. You can understand where they'd feel that way. Just imagine a thousand years plus of family heritage telling you this is what it means. We're under this covenant. Uh, so this is what Paul is speaking into. So then, well, what do you do with these God-fearing Gentiles, Paul? Here you got people that aren't Jewish. Where do they fit in? Um, <laughs> well, they're certainly under the Noahic, Noahic covenant. They're under that covenant, as is all mankind. Um, but, uh, and then the argument was, well, again, to be right with God, you've got to become Jewish. So these God-fearing Jews, you've got to be 
Jewish. You've got to be under the law. And this is what Paul is speaking against. So Paul says, no, no, you are, uh, you are sons and daughters of Abraham. This is where we're adopted. This is where we're grafted into God's story from the very beginning, certainly from Genesis, is that we are now under Abraham's promise, promise of faith only, prior to 430 years before the Jewish laws came to be, 10, 15 years before circumcision came to play, before Isaac was even born. We're children of the promise. So uh, <laughs> let's look at where that takes us. Um, Paul put it this way, Galatians 3.15. Brothers and sisters, and I made that point last week, when he says brothers and sisters, he's referring to those of Jewish faith. Um, in this case, probably brothers and sisters who's believed in Jesus. What do we do? And he says, uh, where are we? 3.15, there it is. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can be... Uh, no one can be can set aside or add to a human human covenant covenant that's been duly established. So it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. That's <laughs> very interesting. And to his seeds, Paul then makes the case. He didn't say to your seeds, Abraham, uh, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this: the law introduced four hundred and thirty years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So all of the commitments he made to this Jewish nation, to the people, descendants of Abraham by birth, that didn't do away with the promise he made to begin with. That's where we fit in. So he goes on. Um, how's it finish up? Uh, maybe that's it. 315, I thought it was more. Uh, Oh, there it is. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. So Paul's making this case, and he's really working hard. How do you overcome hundreds and hundreds of years of assumption to the Jewish world? Um, so that's where Paul's headed. He goes on. Uh, he goes on with this great set of analogies, and the first one goes like this. The question is, why the law at all? And what, what's the deal? Why, why did God do all of this? And he says this. Galatians 3, 23. Uh, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian. Love that idea. Until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. So again, he's making the, the case that the law had its purpose to demonstrate God to the world and all that you need to do to, to recognize God, to honor God. But that was a temporary custody, if you will, until the promise came. Because he said, till your seed fulfills the promise. Jesus, after hundreds and hundreds of years, will come and fulfill the promise made to Abraham and graft us in at that level. So, it goes on. Uh, love it. Gal uh, Romans 7, 1-4, he says this. 
different book, but the same concept. Do you not, excuse me, do you not know brothers and sisters, again using that term, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Um, I mean, I think Jews are going, hmm, that's interesting. So he concludes, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So he's, again, he's, he's appealing to the Jews to say, this was all good stuff, but it's no longer in effect. You're no longer obligated to it. Christ came to set us free from that system. This is a new covenant. <laughs> oh, heard that phrase before. Jesus established, in me there's a new covenant that takes precedence over covenants before it. Um, so it goes on. Then he makes this grand statement. Galatians 3, 28. We're probably familiar with this one. Um, there is therefore neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Again, he's inserting us up there, bypassing, if you will, the other commitments and obligations that the Jewish nation had. Um, that is a grand picture. What does it tell us? It tells us the gospel is, in, is a great equalizer, uh, that you are all now one. You're equal in this new covenant. You're equal in by faith alone. And again, that's hard for us to get our hand around. Uh, you, it is a totally equal gospel. Under the law, there's all sorts of levels. If you're, if you're depending on the law, then those who follow the law better are more than people who don't. There's this great inequity in the law. But in grace, in faith, it's total equity. We're in the same level playing field. does not matter whether you're woman or man, Jew or Greek, Gentile, what gender you are your lifestyle, none of that keeps you from being an heir to the promise. You don't have to change your identity in order for God to insert you based on faith into his new covenant. That's the good news, friends. Um, so, one, we, don't, we shouldn't erect barriers. If we're sharing the gospel, the gospel is good news. Faith alone puts you in a relationship with God. You're an heir to the promise. Don't put up barriers to say, hey, you can be a part of this if. Uh, you know, if you change this, if you stop doing that, if you, whatever barriers we put up to people. Um, there is no barrier. Not political, not identity. There is no barrier. So let's not put barriers when we share the gospel. In the same way, we shouldn't add to the gospel. We shouldn't add to the good news. Well, it's faith, but here's this code of conduct which you should do in order to demonstrate, in order to really be in a right place with God. You've got to follow up faith with all these things. And we'll get to that next week about what that really means. 
but it's not a criteria for being in a right relationship with God. It does have an effect on what your relationship looks like, how healthy it is, but it has nothing to do with trusting, believing, following Jesus, uh, being saved by grace alone. So, again, hard for us because we want to justify, we want to earn, we want to feel like we deserve this relationship with God. So we, if, if, again, I think I said it last week, somebody asks you, hey, are you saved? Is your, is your first and only answer? Yes, I'm saved by faith because of what Jesus did. Or do we go to, yes, I <laughs> committed to church, I'm doing my thing, I'm living a better life. I'm, you know, if we add those things, then we are under a law, if you will. Sin, we're under sin. We're under the same principle that Paul was dealing with with the Jews. Um, well, and again, if you look at every other religion on the planet, ever been, every other religion that's ever existed was based on that code of conduct. Uh, just, just think about a religion. Well, if I do these things, maybe God will accept me. All based on performance, all based on a code of conduct. I have to believe these things, do these things, then maybe God will accept me. Um, the gospel is good news. The gospel is no. None of that applies to you. It is all based on what Jesus did, not anything you can do or can't do or have done. Um, So that's the good news. Well, he goes on. Uh, He restates this again in Galatians 4, 1 to 7. And he says, what I'm saying, maybe I should have read this, trying to explain it. Maybe he's trying to explain it. Here we go. What am I saying is, is as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when, we, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. We have the right by the spirit in us to refer to God as our father based on what he's done. That's the good news. Um, Well, (laughs) again, don't be slaves again. Don't go back under a code. The illustration, uh, he goes into another one in uh, Galatians 4, 21. Uh, tell me, you who want to be under the law, you, maybe the term would be you are, who are comfortable being under a code of conduct, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. Now before I read the second half of this, The Jews are all going, yeah, we're sons of the promise. We're sons of Sarah, not Hagar. But Paul's got this role reversal. Again, a great analogy to make a point. It says this. uh, These things are being taken, taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children 
who are to be slaves. So now he's made the Sinai covenant a covenant of slavery. Uh, this is Hagar. Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. So again, you are mothers of Sarah if you depend on the promise, not the law. The law makes you a slave. Um, well, Galatians 4.30 goes on. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Again, you can see it every paragraph. He's trying hard to get through centuries of preconceived, pre-assumed. This is what it means to be in a right place with God. Uh, we don't have that history, but we still have that pattern in our lives. What are we depending on? Uh, Jesus confronts this with Jews that are arguing with him, and he makes this great, interesting, connected statement in John 8. John 8 says this, to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Didn't say anything about the law. If you hold to my teachings, you're truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And how did his audience respond? They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? They're just hanging on to that. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If you're depending on a code of conduct and you fail at any point, I don't know, have you ever failed trying to hold on to a code of conduct? Anybody? Every day? Every hour of every day? <laughs> That's what he's referring to. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the, fa in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Gang, that's the good news. That's the gospel. We've been set free from sin. Obligation to live a certain way. To be in a full relationship with God. Because of what he's done. Everything after that, that's a response to that relationship, not an obligation to it. It should be. We'll talk about that next week. What do we do? How do we respond to this incredible freedom we have? Because, again, that makes us uncomfortable. Oh, so you're saying we can do anything we want because God set us free. I can do anything I want. Well, let's look at that. <laughs> let's see what that means. Because, again, that's our natural knee-jerk reaction because we're conditioned to do the right thing, maybe more so than believing in faith. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.